Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm a senior pastor here at Center Point Fellowship. This is my lovely wife, Debbie. And uh, everybody say hello, Debbie. Yeah, see, look, they're all glad to see you. All right. Uh, hey, we want to welcome everybody watching us uh, via video and Wetumpka and Pike Road, uh, Cloverdale, elsewhere, all around the world. We're glad that you are with us via the web. Today, we are wrapping up our series entitled Happily Ever After. And as you saw from that little bumper that we just came in, um, it's not always happy inside of marriage. In fact, today, we're going to talk about romance and intimacy. There should be an outline inside your bulletin with that at the top of it. Um, if you need a pen to fill in the blanks, just raise your hand. Um, we, the logic behind the series was this. A couple weeks ago, Tommy and Shelly started us out with conflict resolution. Because if you're going to be married, you need to deal with conflict. Anybody know that true? Know that's true? Okay, you're in denial. All right, but the, uh, uh, if you're going to be married, you better handle conflict. Because conflict's inevitable. First thing that couples fight about is money. And we talked about that last week. This week, we're talking about the second thing that couples fight about is romance and intimacy. And I had a friend I was explaining this to, the series, he goes, romance and intimacy, that's two things. I go, no, grasshopper, it is one, okay? Um, sorry for the 80s reference for those of you who don't understand that. But, um, uh, but the idea is it is one because uh, men and women approach uh, romance and intimacy from two different sides, but it's two different sides of the same coin, and it's the marriage relationship. And that's what we want to strengthen here today. So why don't you have a word of prayer for us, and we'll jump right in. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for all the people that are gathered in this room. And um, Lord, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to what you want us to hear and what you want us to learn. Lord, I thank you that your word never returns void. It always accomplishes what you want it to accomplish. So Lord, do your work in us today, and um, I pray that everything we say and do will bring you honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Point A on your outline, God wants husbands and wives to experience romance and sexual intimacy in marriage. If you'd circle in marriage. Um, I hope these next couple of references from the Bible will prove that Christians are not against sex. Christians think sex is a wonderful thing inside of marriage. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, and then verse 16. You've seen some dialogue going between a husband and his wife. The husband says, you've captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, uh, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me, your, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine, your perfume more fragrant than spices. Your lips are as sweet as nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. And then the wife says, Awake, north wind, rise up, south wind, blow on my garden and spread its fragrance all around. Come into your garden, my love, taste its finest fruits. Are they talking about what I think they're talking about? Yeah, they're talking about it. How do I know? Let's go to Song of Solomon chapter 7. This, this is the same is, By the way, of, I think your favorite verse. This is my favorite verse coming up right here. Oh, how beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love. How full of delights. You're slender like a palm tree. Your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. I said, I'll climb that palm tree and take all of its fruit. May your breasts be like grape clusters and your fragrance, your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine flowing gently over lips and teeth. I am my lover's and he claims me as his own. Now, isn't it true the early church wouldn't let people read this out loud? Well, there's all kinds of places. This is why we call this a PG-13 service. I mean, there are people who would tell you the Bible's against sex. No, it's not. It's against sex outside of marriage, but not inside of marriage. This is a wonderful thing. Sex and romance are supposed to be that romance part, that excitement and mystery, the chemistry. This is a wonderful thing. And God wants us to enjoy each other physically, romantically, sexually inside of marriage. But here's a note. 
romance and intimacy will fade and die in our marriages if we do not intentionally work on them. And there's a, a, a myth out there that, hey, well, you know, we had all this chemistry when we started, but once we got married, it faded, so we must not really love each other. No, just means if you're going to take it to another level, if you're going to experience the intimacy that comes with a long-term relationship, you're going to have to work at it. That's the way a lot of things are. If you're going to get to the next level, you're going to have to work, or else this could happen. Uh, Samson was living with Delilah. She was a prostitute, so they were having kind of some kind of sexual relationship here. She tormented him. She wanted to know the strength of his, his super strength. He was very strong. She wanted to know his secret. Um, and he wouldn't tell her. So she tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Husbands, Colossians 3.19, Paul says, love your wives and never treat them harshly. He wouldn't be writing that unless husbands treated their wives harshly. Proverbs 21, it's better live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome complaining wife. Any amens right there? Yeah, yeah. Now, why are there two nagging verses, only one man verse there? Because I wrote the outline, that's yeah. why. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's my prerogative, okay? Next time I'm right now. Yeah, um, yeah, you go ahead and do that, darling. I love that. Okay, but if you want to, but sure, we could have put more in there, but it's going to happen. We'll treat each other harshly. We'll nag, and off we go. Why? Bills are due. Kids are crying. The roof leaks. Dog Car won't start. Dog got out. Hate my job. What are you talking about, romance? What are you talking about, intimacy? And all of a sudden, it all goes by the wayside. But yet, we made commitments in marriage. We're going to live together. How does it work? Well, we're going to give you some pointers here as we go along. But the big, big overarching point has to be this. This is point B. If we're going to be intentional about it, we have to make sure that we understand this. God wants husbands to meet their wives' needs and wives to meet the needs of their husbands. Would you read that out loud with me, please? God wants husbands to meet their wives' needs and wives to meet the needs of their husbands. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so Satan won't be able to tempt you. And please underline, so Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You know, we'll mention this a little later again. We'll come back to this again. But if the devil can destroy one area, it's sex inside of marriage. I mean, think about this. We have pre-married couples. Oh, we just can't wait. We can't wait. Oh, we have to have sex before we're married. We just can't wait. We can't wait. Then they get married. Oh, I'm too tired. I have a headache. What? Now you can have sex anytime you want. Yeah, I don't want to do that. There's, when there's a command about this for a married couple, the command is, you should have sex. Now, men, you need to mark this verse, okay? This is an important verse. Women, you need to mark this verse because it's important. If the devil can destroy marriages and destroy our romance and intimacy in marriages, our marriages will fall apart. And if they fall apart, then chances are it's going to really have a harsh impact on our kids. It'll rip up our culture. And soon we'll be fighting over alimony and child support. And we'll have all kinds of sin and strife and pain that'll go on maybe for generations if, we can, if he can really stir it up. And just please hear a heart here as a pastor. This is why we're talking about this today. And yeah, I know it's not appropriate for little kids. It's not. I mean, they don't want to hear it anyway. What are you talking about? Moms and dads and kids. Oh, I don't want to be there. Okay. 
They don't want to be here and they don't need to be. But teenagers do. And here's why. Because I want people to understand God created us sexual beings and that's a good thing. And we should aspire to use God's gifts the way he wants us to use them. Inside of marriage. And it's a wonderful thing. So there's a note at the top of the inside of the next page there. Um, God made men and women to be complementary, not identical. Tommy and Shelly hit this a couple weeks ago. It's important to hit this again here. This is so important. If a man's going to meet the woman's needs, the husband's going to meet his wife's needs, and the wife is going to meet the needs of her husband, then we have to understand we're complementary, not identical. The Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone. This is Adam in the garden. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place of flesh, and the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he'd taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. What does it mean to you for a man and woman to be complementary? Well, it means that we're, um, it's, we're not identical. I mean, it's just, all you have to do is live together for two days, and you realize, oh boy, we don't, we're not alike. We're not alike in a lot of ways. We think differently. And so it, Rightly. It, oh, sorry, I don't want to go there. No, go ahead. But God made us that way intentionally so that we could help each other out and so that we could work together and accomplish more than we could alone. And so we have to respect the differences, but we need to steady, study each other and figure each other out so that we can work together. Right. And so what you're going to see are five bullet points here that Debbie and I have gone over. We put into practice in our own marriage and what we encourage other marriages to. And, but it all starts with, that was the big aha moment after we got married was, hey, I didn't get married just for me. I got married because I love her. Well, then, John, if you're going to love her, then love her. Find out what she needs. And she had to find out what I need. And when we put this together, well, then the marriage can continue to grow and deepen because we'll keep discovering more and more about each other. But you have to be intentional because um, we're pretty selfish on our own. And so this is something you have to pray about and work on. But it's just life happens. Last week when we talked about finances. You won't wake up one day and go, oh, look, our IRA is fully funded. How'd that happen? Okay, if we're not intentional about putting money away, there won't be any left when we want to retire. If we're not intentional about thinking of, hey, how do I help the woman that God gave me? Or in Debbie's case, how does she help the man that God gave her? How do, we, how do I love them? How do I treat them? Well, then... It's not going to happen. Once, why don't you start with the first point? Okay, the first point is husbands crave respect as much as wives crave love. Respect. Um, Ephesians 5.33 says, So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I've always thought that was interesting that it was two different um, points there that he's supposed to love me, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm supposed to respect him. Yeah, I mean, there's over and over again... This is the biggest thing that was... Uh, oh, and by the way, there's a book out called Love and Respect by a guy named Emerson Egerichs. The end of your outline, we've given you a, a number of different references. This is one, so you can get this. If you were going to buy one book that would help any marriage, any pre-married couple, understanding what the difference between husbands and wives, what they need, this would be the one we'd recommend. Yes. Uh, but it starts with this. It's the whole thing of respect, because many times women don't understand how much men crave respect. He cites a, a study, the author here... Uh, cites a study that was done a number of years ago about men, and the question was posed to them, if they were forced to choose one of the following, which would they prefer to endure? A, to be left alone and unloved in the world, to live alone and unloved the rest of your life in the world, or 
B, to feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone, even though you're around everybody. 74% of men said that if they were forced to choose, they'd prefer being alone and unloved rather than inadequate and disrespected. And that doesn't strike me as odd at all. Men crave respect. And this is one of the things that so many women, they started out admiring their husband when they were dating and stuff, but then they got into life and the bills come and the problems come and and sometimes women get into full-time mom mode and so they're taking care of all the kids and then they just throw the husband in there too. And they even joke about it. We go to dinner parties and then people go, well, how many kids do you have? Well, three, four counting my husband. (laughs) And you see the guy shrink. I mean, you see him just shrink. Or uh, it'll be like this where the woman is sitting there talking about, um, well, yeah, he's got this job, but, you know, I, I think he's going to be going to grad school pretty soon because, you know, and really kind of make his way up in the company and stuff. And then the drive home, they're going, why did you tell people? Why do you always tell people I'm trying to do that? I like my job. Well, yeah, but, I mean, you've got to get a better job than that. I mean, you're not going to stay there forever, right? Not that worthless job. And all of a sudden, the guy just feels this small. Because he identifies himself by a lot by the work that he does. John, it's my job to build you up and to make you feel good about yourself. And that's one of the things that Scripture is pretty specific about. And um, I know there was another example in that book um, about a couple that came to one of their conferences. And this woman had been disrespecting her husband just over and over and over again and basically just treating him like a child and um, nagging him and, and doing all these things to where he just... Um, it just shrunk down to nothing. And she couldn't understand what she was doing wrong because she just felt like he deserved it. And they finally um, looked at her and said, how would you feel if someone married your son and treated your son the way you're treating your husband? And that made sense to her. It's like, oh, I would never want that. I would never want someone to treat my son that way. And I think that's a good um, checkpoint for all of us. It's, are you treating your wife... Um, the way that you want someone to treat your daughter one day. I think that's a great way to look at it of just, are you being respectful? Are you being loving and kind? You know, as a woman, it's it's easy to get into, like John said, mom mode, where you're just, you know, your job is raising children and you're teaching them uh, what to do, what not to do, and you're reprimanding them when they don't do it um, correctly, and you just kind of transfer that over to your husband. And sometimes we even treat our children better than our husband's. Because that's where we get so much of our identity as a woman is in our children. And God's word is completely, teaches the complete opposite. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is how important respect is to people. Peter was writing to Christian women in the first century. They'd become Christians, but obviously they were married to non-Christians. They'd heard the gospel, given their lives to Christ, but their husband wasn't a believer yet. Here was Peter's advice. Listen to this. This is fascinating. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over. Listen to this. They'll be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives, by showing your husband respect. You want to win a man over? Show him respect. They knew that in the first century. We need to know that in the 21st century. Men crave respect. I can't tell you how many times I meet with couples. They go, I don't know why he stays at his office all the time. And he works so many hours. And I, and I talk to the guy alone. He goes, well, at my office, I get respect. At home, I get orders. And I can't seem to get that through to her. I, nothing I do is good enough. In fact, if I just, just get everything done, it's like, well, about time. I can't win for losing. 
And so women, please hear this. Now I want to go to the next point because the flip side is also true. And some of you women are going, hey, 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 what about our side here? Well, it's coming, okay? Wives desire romance as much as husbands crave sex. Okay, now look, these, these verses here, um, I, I want you to comment on why this is written in Song of Solomon 2. You know, the guy was writing about the palm tree and all that stuff. Well, here's the way the wife describes her husband. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He's taken me to the banquet hall and his banner over me is love. She's not describing him the way he described her at all. He, she's describing him the way he makes her feel, right? Right. I mean, that this person is taking care of her. He's making her feel loved. And I've, I've said to you many times, the most important sexual organ of a woman is her mind. And so you have to understand. Write her. that down then. Write that down. Okay. That's how you make her feel loved. And so um, that's a, it can be a mystery, but it's something to pursue and to figure out. In the same way, you husbands, Peter's writing again here. I mean, wrote to the wives, hey, you want to win the guy over? Show him respect. Well, listen to what else Peter said. You husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with an understanding as you live, with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. And that verse means exactly what it says. You want God to hear your prayers? Well, then take care of your first order of responsibility. Your first order of responsibility is the woman God gave you. Honor her. Treat her with understanding. I mean, that means listen to her. Cherish her. This is so important. Men crave respect. Women crave men who will listen to them and talk to them and give them response. Women have emotional needs just like men have sexual needs. And it all ties together, and that brings us to the note here, that men are visually stimulated and women are emotionally stimulated. And so I want to remind us all again, the things that, when it's romantic, I mean, the romance, the mystery, the excitement, all that stuff that, that women cherish so much and it's important for them, well, that starts with conversations in the kitchen long before there's any talk about the bedroom. And it means that we need to have those face-to-face -face conversations with the TV off and not texting while we're talking. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Are you finished yet? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Not like that. But real conversations and listening, and it's, it's terribly important. John, I wanted to say something real quick about where it says men are visually stimulated. Um, it's important that um, women are aware of this. I, I guess raising three boys, I'm, I'm hypersensitive to it, that as women, we need to dress appropriately when we're in public um, because you do stimulate the men that you come in contact with. And that's just the way God made them. You don't need to resent that. That's just who they are, and that's a good thing. So um, you need to be careful in the way that you dress because you may be thinking, oh, my husband likes this. Well, so does every other man you come in contact with. And so you need to be careful. And the other thing is that translates into um, what happens when you're intimate and in your bedroom, that you need to be, remember that men are visually stimulated. And that's helpful when you're working on that part of your relationship. Yeah, because when couples are young, they understand this. When couples get older, this, a lot of times I have to remind wives, it's okay. You can put on something kind of racy in the bedroom when you're at middle age and things. Well, I don't feel cute wearing that anymore. It's like, Darling, he's going to think you're great. Okay, that's no problem. <laughs> but the whole idea is it's taking care of the man's needs. That's, it helps him. And if we put each other's needs ahead of our own, 
my goodness things. And that's what men crave also is they want women to desire them physically. And women, men, they want us to desire them emotionally, to listen, to talk, to be interested in what they're dealing with. And if we meet each other's needs, wonderful things can happen. There's also a note here. If that's going to happen, then romance requires planning. Well, what kind of stuff am I talking about? Well, years ago, I started collecting tips from people. I made lists and lists and lists. Why is that, John? Because I'm romantically (laughs) challenged. That's why. Okay. I mean, like one of them was as simple as this. Go out for ice cream and let her pick the topic of conversation. We did this again last week. Yeah. It was nice. And, And when we were first getting married, that was like small ice creams, please. Okay. I mean, we had no money. Okay. But the whole point was if we could just go out even just for ice cream and you get to pick the topic of conversation and it was nice. Yeah. And I will say this, you know, just cause you brought it up, you don't have to spend a lot of money to be romantic. You need to be, um, and, and I guess that going and say the next point we must become students of our spouses. That works with all within this because every woman is different and how she interprets romance. And so, men, you need to get into her mind. Talk to her. What was it that attracted um, you to her in the beginning and vice versa? What did you do when you first started dating that was so much fun? Ask her what she enjoys, what her um, idea of a perfect romantic evening would look like. And study her, become a student of her, and then and reach, get your list and it will help. And because for me, you don't have to spend lots of money on me, but you do. If you make an effort, effort toward doing something that I enjoy, it, um, it's very important. That's important to me. I just laugh at here's what we had. We're in a small sailboat, and so I like to watch the sunset. Remember we did that? It was terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a disaster. Uh, but I got points for trying, right? <laughs> I, yes. I, it's just funny. I hadn't looked at this list in a while. We were laughing at some of these things. Okay, if you want the list, uh, you can email me, man, and I'll be glad to send it to you, but I do not guarantee any of them. Okay, that's all I want to know. But you will get points for trying. Look, if we're going to have talks, um, go for a walk. It's just the two of you. No cell phones. Um, no kids. No kids. Plan a weekend where somebody's watching the kids. Um, even if it's just staying at a, a place in town. Just so you have some time together. Plan some time together so you can talk. And men, if we'll do this, then all the issues that stand between us, they can get out. I mean, there, and there's, there's phrases that I put on here too. It's just so funny. Like some, one of the phrases was, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I mean, you guys have heard me mention that. I wrote that down because, I, I mean, that was really important to us because I found out she did not want to be intimate with me when she couldn't stand me. That's true. I mean, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> you know, for there are a lot of verses in Scripture. We read two of them about <laughs> nagging women. So it, and there are a lot, lot more. I hate to say it. So apparently, that's a real problem for some people. Um, but some uh, who I, I don't know who <laughs> you're talking imagine about. Imagine who. But for men, a lot of the women that I talk to um, in their home, the struggle they have is anger. Their husbands are mm. angry, and time. so they're. This is so foreign to them. They're just trying to keep things happy. They're just walking on eggshells so nobody's angry and upset. And it's hard to be intimate with someone who's nagging you or treating you like a child. And it's hard to be intimate with someone who screams and yells all the time. Yeah. And so, again, hear us on this. We can give you ideas. There's books in here. Call us. We'd love to help you. You can get counseling, too. We can refer people. Don't let this fester. 
I mean, it's not too late. There's, there's hope. If you deal with the problems, it's amazing how God can turn things around. Now, it brings us to the next point here, too. We must become students of our spouses. And this was a huge one. I had to learn how to love Debbie. Um, she's completely different than my mom. She's, I have a twin sister. She's completely different than my twin sister. The people that I had known growing up, she's completely different. She likes different flowers. She likes different foods. Things are romantic to her that were never romantic to them. They wouldn't have, they, you know, the way my dad treated my mom, the way my sister, the guys that she went out with, what she liked, I couldn't use those. Some of them I could keep, but most of them is completely different, but I have to learn her. And what's great about marriage is I have the rest of my life because she's complicated, okay, terribly complicated, okay? And so there's, there's lots of things to understand, but that's one of the great joys about being married is that we can take time. And again, I just, things that don't work, Scratch those out. Things that do, well, let's learn. Let's get, let's get better at this. Don't be selfish. Here's a scripture reference for this. Now, again, it applies to Christians across the board, but it certainly, certainly should apply to marriage here. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now, husbands, put a wife in there. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of your wife as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in hers Two. Wow. What if I made it my goal to say, hey, I want to spend time with you this weekend, dear. I don't, I don't want to go off and play golf or other things. I just want to spend time. What do you need done around the house? Can we just spend some time together? After you pick her up off the floor, <laughs> you'll have a good conversation. I mean, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, no comment. Let's just keep going. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, then you've got to hit the next one. Sexual sin is never the right answer for marital difficulties. Never, ever, ever. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his, control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans do who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this manner by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins. As we have solemnly warned you before, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, here's a note. Satan will do everything he can to tempt us to have sex outside of marriage and to not have sex inside of marriage as God designed it. The one thing he wants to kill once you get married is romance and good intimacy. That come with a growing relationship. He knows there'll be pressures from life. He knows we age. He knows that things change as all those things happen and we mature and our kids grow and all these things. He knows that. And so he wants to compound things and keep us far apart. And so we hold grudges, don't work through things, don't talk through things. And then on top of us, entice us with all these allurements outside of marriage. I'm talking about porn. I'm talking about improper relationships. I'm talking about dirty movies like Fifty Shades of Grey. Mommy porn. I'm talking about the stuff, the dirty books. I'm talking about prostitution. I mean, you can go on and on and on. And now it's all available on cable. It's available on your phone. It's available anywhere. It's like, well, I'm not getting my needs met by my wife, so I'm just going to get my needs met by this video on my phone or this dirty book. My husband doesn't act that way that people in the book do. And then the lie is, well, then I'll get the itch scratched and then I'll feel better. No, it just whets our appetites for more. And then pretty soon we're reading these books, looking at these movies, having these conversations with somebody else at work, 
and all of a sudden, my goodness, that old goat that I married, he doesn't measure up anymore. Well, the old gray Mary ain't what she used to be. I mean, look at all the young women in this pornography. Well, they never age. And they have a man's sex drive. My wife doesn't have that. Well, it's not real. And so, men, I just want to appeal to us here. We have to stay away from sexual sin. Because, again, if the devil can get our marriages destroyed, he can mess up my life, her life. He can impact our kids' lives. He can impact a whole community. It's the mother load. And that's why this is so important for us. And that's why the command in Scripture from 1 Corinthians 7 was, inside of marriage, have sex. Well, if you're going to have sex, then you've got to do these things. Wives, we've got to treat husbands with respect. Men, you've got to romance your wives and honor them. Take care of emotional needs and plan. And we've got to stay away from sexual sin. So please hear me again. If you've gotten into sexual sin, or if you're in an inappropriate relationship, get out of it now. Stop now. Work on your marriage. Confess it. Stop now. John, sin separates us from God and from our spouse and the people that we love. It's harmful to us, and it destroys us, and it destroys the people that we love. You have to stay away from it if you want your marriage to be healthy. And again, it's because we trust God, and our culture would laugh at all this. Our culture will tell us all the good sex is outside of marriage. That's the good stuff. It's a lie. It's a lie. If it was all true, then all those Hollywood actors and stuff, they would all have the best lives. But they're the ones taking pills. They're the ones doing desperate things, going in and out of rehab all the time. And that brings us to the last point. And by the way, if you need help with something with sexual immorality, God can forgive, God can restore, we'll help you. Please, please hear that. Last point, uh, we must pray for each other and pray together for our marriages. My goodness, if I could recommend one big thing that you can do right now that every married couple has to do is pray. If you're a single, you can already, if you're a single person, you can already be praying for the person that God has in store for you one day. We pray for our sons, for the spouse that they're eventually going to marry. It was really exciting when our oldest one got married about six weeks ago. And we finally, after we realized a few years ago that she was the one we'd been praying for all along. Oh, that's the woman we've been praying for. And it's wonderful. You can be praying for this now based on these things. A husband that will love his wife and be worthy of respect and do his part. My goodness, it's all good stuff. John, can I say one thing real quick? Um, Women, a lot of us, you know, because we we raise children and train them up, we have this laundry list of things our husbands are doing or not doing or or things that we are unhappy with in our relationship. Um, I would encourage you, prayer is the answer to all of those things. Um, you are not, your job, your goal is not to change the person that you married. God does the changing in people. The Holy Spirit is the only one capable of changing us. And his word says that his spirit will, will change us from the inside out and make us more like him and less like ourselves. And that's a good thing because we all struggle. And so if you see issues in your marriage, you have issues in your marriage, just we all do, but pray for your spouse. There's some great books out there. This one is called The Power of a Praying Wife. I've given this to lots of women to pray for their husbands because they come with this laundry list of things they, they're upset about. And as they start praying for their husband, their whole attitude changes. And then our, their husband is the beneficiary of that. And then their marriages um, can be healed. Yeah, I mean, there's chapters on there how to pray for a stubborn husband, how to pray for an angry husband. 
The stubborn chapter was well marked in yours. I don't know why that was. But anyway, but the, the whole idea is, but it stands to reason if we pray, we trust God that God can change people's hearts. And then we pray, God, help me love my spouse as I should. I mean, there's a companion to this, The Power of a Praying Husband, too. I mean, they've written companion books. But James 5.16 says, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. That's the message translation. And, of course, it applies to Christians across the board as we pray for each other. But how much more to marriage? Are you praying for your spouse? Are we praying together? What would we pray about? Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands, that is to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For you husbands, this means loving your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. So what would a husband pray for? Lord, help me give up my wife for my life. Of my life for... No. Let me say that right. Wow. Sorry. Yeah. Husbands need to pray, Lord, would you please show me how I can give up my life for my wife? And the wife's saying, Lord, would you show me how to respect my husband? Because I know sometimes men are not, don't do, do many things that are not worthy of respect. Don't, don't hear us saying every husband's perfect. That's just not the case. But if we're praying for each other and we're praying together about this and we acknowledge, hey, we're not where we need to be. Let's pray about this. I mean, that is an enormous thing. When couples even come to my office, sometimes they are so mad, they won't even, you know, there's a little love seat I have them sit on, and they are turned away from each other, trying to, they're hugging the arm on it. It's not big enough for them to get far away. But the tension is just there. I go, can we just pray for your marriage before we start? And I pray that God would help remind them of the things that attracted them in the first place. And we pray that God would reignite the love and that there would be softening of the heart and that she'd respect him and that he would love her and honor her. And you can just see the tension melt. You can feel it. And a lot of times people go, wow, that was helpful all by itself. That's because God is helpful. Can I get an amen on that? God wants to help us with this. Sex is good. Romance is good. Two sides to the same coin. If we're not intentional about it, though, it won't happen. Can I pray for us? Father, we're just out of time. We could talk for days on this, and that's why there are marriage conferences. I just wanted something, though, on a Sunday morning here where we could talk about this with everybody here. God, life happens. We get busy. Bills come. We get sick. We do mean things. We say horrible things sometimes, and our feelings are deeply hurt. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to find any time or any money for romance, especially if we haven't been managing our money well. So we just bring our broken lives to you and say, God, would you show us how we can live together in a way that honors you? I pray for every married couple here, Lord, that you would uh, remind them of at least one thing they can be working on out of that list. Honor or respect. Romance. Staying away from sexual sin. Whatever it is, Father, would you please speak now? And Lord, I pray that while you're speaking, Lord, we would say, Lord, I heard you. I'll work on it. Just give me the strength. Help me. God, as I'm praying for marriages right now, I just pray that you remind them. They can pray at home. You're everywhere. You're, you're never, you never sleep. You never slumber. You're available anytime. time. 
Oh God, I pray that we'll pray together. And finally, Lord, I pray that couples that are struggling with different areas, they don't know what to do, that they'll get help. They'll call me. They'll call one of the other people on our staff. They'll let us know and say, I need help. Please, Lord. Please. I pray that you bless our site pastors, Father, that people at different locations, you give them the right words to say to help people too. I pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.